Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis, and I'm the clinical nutritionist for BN Multi. Today, I have the company of Amanda Marnie. Welcome, Amanda. How are you? Good. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you here. So today, we're just going to talk in detail, I suppose, about chronic pain and your the part that work plays in chronic pain. What got you working in this area? As a naturopath, I work with people one-on-one and have done for a number of years. And I was seeing people in my clinic with chronic pain. Uh, I started to get really frustrated when I realised that we weren't making progress. We, And by progress, I mean we weren't managing their pain effectively. None of the strategies that I thought I knew about for managing pain were really that effective. We'd get some gains, but, you know, it'd be up and down. And, and really, it was quite a frustrating process, of course for the patient but also for me and I think probably I started to question why a little bit curious I put on my detective hat then I went down and did a master's in the science of pain management because I really got my teeth into the topic and I started to understand why what I'd been doing and what had been taught in college was not really an effective wasn't effective for chronic pain wasn't helping people manage their pain more effectively and so I think I'm better placed to do that now um, I think certainly. you definitely can say so yeah that'd be such an interesting area to become a master in is and it is an, it is something that people are living with and it's almost like this quiet you know unknown for some people to live their lives in chronic pain how much of an issue is that in Australia it's a significant issue I mean um, I was looking at this recently um, and the most recent research is um, for Australia is from 2018 and it looks at the kind of burden of disability um, in Australia from chronic disease and low back pain headaches musculoskeletal pain and neck pain are all in the top 10 of the the chronic diseases that have the greatest level of um, disability and so it is frequently exacerbated by untreated or poorly treated pain or pain management in Australia this also holds true it's not just a third world issue for example Mm. and the specifics of chronic pain make it a little bit difficult to quantify due to the fact that there's fluctuating courses and acute exacerbations with regard to chronic pain but approximately one in five Australian adults women and one in six men um, in Australia uh, have persistent pain. Gee, that's significant. And I think when you listed the culprits for chronic pain, headache, low back pain, is there a level of acceptance that this is just our lives and we have headaches and we have low back pain? Do you think it's something that we're not necessarily, I guess, understanding as a medical issue in a lot of ways? And some people are just living in chronic pain and just thinking that that's the way life is? 
Yes, and uh, I think that has unfortunate consequences too. So people are living with pain, which has significant impact on their quality of life. Mm. So you might see that someone makes choices to withdraw from social events or reduces their exercise or their movement generally or is just less able to do the things that they used to enjoy. So there's a quality of life issue, but there's a second, there's secondary issues associated with chronic pain that are, are really significant and one of those is even over-the-counter medication reliance and then it escalates from there on up the analgesic ladder. So we might go from something like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory up to no an opiate or yes. um, they will just escalate from there, potentially the medications that is. And the thing about that is that those medications have consequences, even over-the-counter ones. So if you've got someone who's been on those for years, there are potential health issues related to those medications and I think the other or the third really significant consequence is that there's comorbidities associated with um, chronic pain so there's not just social impacts but there's also emotional impacts you know we start to see depression and anxiety associated with chronic pain insomnia is another big issue due to breakthrough pain at night there tends to be worse health status overall so we're looking at increased increased diabetes, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular risk and obesity associated Mm. with chronic pain. But then there's also the other things we don't think about like family stress and work and financial stress that are associated with it. So the secondary impacts of pain are significant Mm. and that's just aside from just the medications. And you look statistically at how many people are living their lives that way. Like there could be so much on offer for them if we could get the pain under control or actually look at where the pain coming from and help to you know rectify that how is such pain generally managed this chronic state of pain um, I would say that chronic pain is fairly poorly managed and it's not that that there aren't efforts to manage chronic pain well, but access to things like pain clinics um, is limited and there's huge queues because let's just put this in context that chronic pain in Australia outnumbers all other chronic diseases combined. So it outnumbers diabetes, coronary heart disease, stroke and all cancers. And yet in the scheme of things, it probably receives less funding and is less holistically treated as compared to other chronic health conditions. So we see that probably, you know, a first-line treatment for, say, low back pain when someone goes to the GP is probably good advice, which is don't rest too much, get up and start moving as soon as you can. For someone with lower back pain, generally that's fairly good advice. But that advice doesn't tend to be followed up and it's not necessarily taken up by the patients presenting with low back pain. Mm. And so um, we start to see that it becomes a little bit more entrenched and a bit more chronic. And the other thing that's associated with it is that there can be psychological inputs to chronic pain. So I'm not saying that chronic pain is just due to your thoughts and emotions and it's all in your brain I'm not saying you self necessarily self-create chronic pain but our thoughts our emotions our feelings and levels of stress can really 
amplify and increase the suffering associated with chronic pain. So we're not really addressing that at a frontline level and we're also not addressing the social aspects of um, chronic pain, you know, the withdrawal from community, the withdrawal from friends and family and even the workplace as well as it could be. When you open it up like that and compare it to the diabetes, cancer, that sort of thing, we hear about those sorts of diseases every day, but we've got this other one that's on top of and more prevalent. And it's not something that we're all sitting around donating money to and, you know, doing weekend walks to raise funds for. What sort of associations are there that are umbrellas over these pain, people who are suffering from chronic pain? Oh, there's a number of associations available and they're available to the public with strange pain society and they have chapters in each state and look they have some really great resources mm. you know if you want to go as a as a person suffering from chronic pain to go and find out about chronic pain then you can't they're a good starting place they're not going to be the be all and end all but they will be provide you some avenues to look at other options for chronic pain and there's other one really great resource that i refer um, people to is tamethebeast.org of course the beast being about chronic pain that <laughs> that gnaws on us and that has got some really sensible approach to creating a good team around you when it comes to chronic pain because one of the things that I have seen and really has come home to me is that you can't treat chronic pain as a silo approach which means that often it will take a number of different strategies and a kind of concept of wraparound care rather than just doing one thing or That's... having one treatment approach. And these places you will find out, you know, different support networks and that sort of thing for exploring what you might need as a chronic pain sufferer? Yes, there's some avenues to look at, you know, what mm. options are available to you or even just what you could be looking at. Like, uh, for example, they will suggest, you know, create your own care team and it might include someone who's helping you with movement, mm. um, who's helping you with medication or even medication withdrawal as appropriate, who's helping you, the thoughts, the emotions and the feelings that are contributing to pain, persistence and severity. And then I also add into that who's helping you with nutrition. Really what we're seeing is that nutrition is one of the factors that can be contributing to pain persistence. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's something we'll explore just a little in our um, the following questions, which I'm really interested in. And so looking at how pain is managed currently from a mainstream approach, medications, that sort of thing, what sort of impacts do you see uh, residual um, as a result of managing chronic pain day to day? Probably I didn't actually answer the question before you asked me that and I, did, I just went on to a big long story. But um, I would say that in uh, currently Australia, pain is managed from a bi medical perspective mm -hmm. and so that is we're looking for the cause of the pain when I just need to highlight this often there isn't a direct causal effect with chronic pain so they go down cause of pain which might mean imaging or repeated CT scans or MRIs um, which are often unhelpful and mm. don't yield real information and then the standard approach is medication and so while exercise might be um, encouraged there's not necessarily resources given as to what pathways to go down so I find that it's a very kind of linear approach to chronic pain treatment it's like um, we need to find out what's happening for you 
what's causing this pain when often we can't and then medication is the first line and sometimes that's not the best first line approach and so what is I guess the issue with that is there's a lot ignored correct there's a lot of things that might be contributing to the persistence of chronic pain that just aren't addressed and in chronic pain when often we don't know the cause and they think that up to 70% of people in persistent or chronic pain can't trace it back to a single event. Wow, that's a significant statistic mm. as well. And not only that, I think the stress of going through all these investigations and the financial burden, you know, you wonder how much time would be could be used elsewhere um, managing pain rather than trying to find the source if 70% of the time it's not on offer. How do you find, um, I guess, and the what are the long-term effects of taking these medications day-to-day? What sort of things do you see show up as far as are there different nutrients that are blocked as a result of taking chronic pain medications or is there a disruption in other areas of the body? How does it affect your health overall? I probably, there's side effects. It's just straightforward side effects. Like mm. with opioids, you might see you might see issues with addiction mm. um, and that's on the rise in Australia. It's a huge issue in the US. Yes. It's a growing issue in Australia and we're trying to, to prevent it, but often then by preventing it, we're going to other medications, which may not be, they may not be as addictive, but they have other issues. But um, so there's side effects and, and it might be that with an opioid, you might have stomach issues or chronic constipation. With some of the medications for neuropathic pain, you might see extreme lethargy or fatigue, that kind of feeling of waking up in a fog and trying to push through the day or memory and concentration issues. So a lot of the medications are around quality of life. Yes. Rather than me counting how many nutrients you're losing. And to a certain degree, I think the quality of life issues are bigger than any single nutrient deficiency is associated with the medication. Mm, that's really yes. interesting. We, we do see a um, proportion of our community after weight loss surgery who have the weight loss surgery has come about as a result of, you know, an accident or injury or something like that, that then, you know, there's inactivity, there's surgeries, that sort of thing. And of course, pain, chronic pain they're living with, which then leads to weight gain. And then mm. for them to get to be more active again, to help to regain their mobility as well as their health, weight loss surgery is one of the tools that's implemented. So yeah, I guess that's part of the reason why I've got you here is for that percentage of our community is to talk about maybe some um, different things they could implement in their day-to-day. Do you feel there's a lot that can be done from a natural perspective? Yes, I do. I thought you might. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not even just from a natural perspective. I look at, you know, how can we harness um, active strategies or bring in active treatment strategies to promote recovery Mm. by active I meant that the patients involved so I would say that say relying on medication as needed is not an active strategy it's a passive Mm. strategy and rest is a passive strategy but something like most people will be able to engage in some level of graded exercise so we meet the individual where they're at yeah and we gradually implement more movement and safe movement as they can do it. And uh, often, though, that's not necessary. 
um, I think you've got to find the right person to manage that graded edu- um, graded movement because otherwise people get into boom or bust cycles. They'll want to exercise, they push themselves a bit too hard, then they're exhausted and, mm. oh, you know, or they're hurt, they're feeling sore. So it's avoiding boom or bust cycles. Um, from a natural perspective or from, a, I guess, we'll start with a nutrition perspective, there is some really significant dietary patterns that are associated with persistence of chronic pain and I would say and this is a little bit getting a bit kind of delving into detail but Mm. it is um, what we call induction of central sensitization and this is when the central nervous system amplifies and uh, continues chronic pain so it becomes almost uh, an issue in its own right it's Mm. not about peripheral input or trauma or injury those didn't still those might still be there but we get this amplification because the central nervous system starts to change and send lots of threat messages to the brain which are then interpreted as pain whether or not there's real threat there is another thing wow yeah so that's really big that chronic pain and i'm a bit cautious about saying this but can almost be seen as a disease in its own right Mm. it's not classified as one but it becomes if you like its own process that's really almost separate from the original onset if there was one in the first place wow and is there a way to interrupt that adaptation of the nervous system and its recognition of this said threat or is that something that how do you unravel that circuit well i would loosely say neuroplasticity got us into Mm. this situation and neuroplasticity (laughs) can get us out yeah so some of the things that we i mean if i had to take a an overarching approach is kind of three things to look at there's reducing the peripheral input so if that's trauma or damage or low-grade inflammation or acidity in the tissues you manage that Mm -hmm. then it's reducing the the central sensitization or the central nervous system activation and then it's accessing the drug cabinet in our brain so we if we do those three things we can start to reduce and modulate that pain response we can start to reduce suffering associated with pain and even some of the severity of the pain and I think diet comes in there because supporting healthy Mm. eating can really reduce that inflammatory input from the periphery but also we're starting to see that it might reduce some of those central effects some of that central sensitization Um, and probably everyone's going to roll their eyes when I say this because you're going to go of course but (laughs) if we're looking at dietary patterns just this year there was a really interesting research paper that was published and it's shown that there's an interaction between dietary patterns and musculoskeletal related pain and it found that plant-based diets so low saturated fat low sugar might be more effective at having pain relieving effects and that's chronic musculoskeletal pain. So that's, um, you could think things like osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, mm. gout, subarthralgias. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so talking about diet and a low, and would you say anti-inflammatory diet is a um, contributor to chronic pain relief? Sure, I would. Things like Mediterranean diet, that sort of thing, or is it more specific than that? It depends on the condition. But mm. for musculoskeletal pain, yes, a Mediterranean Mediterranean diet would be ideal because it's low in saturated fat and low in sugar. 
Mm. And that's been shown to reduce pain intensity and pain threshold. But if you're looking at something like endometriosis, you might sh- there are other dietary strategies that have been shown to be perhaps more effective, and that would be um, uh, they've been shown to be links with gluten, yeah. dairy, lactose, if you like, and eggs. So you might look at a more specific approach with something like endometriosis. Mm. I think a Mediterranean diet, a, a true Mediterranean diet that's not just focused on um, too much wheat that has um, you know some there but it's basically based on good oils and plant based is a, a good choice and mm. yeah for um, reducing inflammation and perhaps starting to manage pain more effectively so it is very interesting to put together the nutritional or what we eat and how we talk about you know you are what you eat but how what we eat can just so be so far reaching as far as all sorts of different conditions i have heard about the um like autoimmune protocol diets and that sort of stuff linked with say rheumatoid arthritis and um, pain um, conditions such as those what are your thoughts on um, these very I mean they're quite a limited therapeutic diet what are your thoughts on the application of those I think that well actually if we look at I I, when I don't know I go back to the research when I'm like that sounds good but what do we know about it if we look at autoimmune diets Specifically, the Swank diet is is an Australian diet that's been developed for multiple sclerosis and that has been shown to have some positive effects. And that's based on, again, it's largely plant-based with good oils and fish. Then the Walls diet with Terry Walls is is in clinical trials at the moment. And again, if we look at, rather than looking at the difference, look at what makes those, um, look at what those diets have in common. Mm. And again, the Walls diet has good oils, (laughs) plant-based and like call it what you will but we're giving them the same thing all these different names is that how you feel yeah <laughs> although i do think that some of them are quite restrictive there's some um, amy myers diet oh, i might have got the name wrong there but i suspect that's is un, is also undergoing a clinical trial at the moment mm. or it was last time i looked in but it's quite restrictive mm. and i find that that might be reasonable short term as a short circuit if yeah. you like but long term i question whether that's sustainable and um, I think that for chronic pain, that these diets have got to be fairly long term. So we've yeah. got to have something that is sustainable, is that works to reduce inflammation, but is sustainable and enjoyable. Um, of course. Yeah, I choose generally the Modi Med diet or modified Mediterranean diet, which was developed for Australians. It was actually developed for treating, um, sorry, treating is the wrong word, but managing depression. Right. And it was in 2017 they did a clinical trial called the SMILES trial, and it was showed to reduce depression. Now, that's funny because I'm not really talking about chronic pain, but the other thing that it was shown to do is reduce inflammation. Right. And if we think about the fact that chronic pain and depression often go hand in hand and that there's inflammation often associated and contributing to chronic pain it's a mm. fairly good choice and it's not too restrictive yeah i have to in in our all of our podcasts we have a show notes section so i will make sure we include the names of these different ways of you know modifying inflammation in our diet are uh, there as well as how to contact you so from a natural health perspective i know you are also a practitioner with herbs and nutrients for treating chronic pain how effective can that sort of thing be for people? Can you 
Do you have any standout story or conditions that hugely successful when treating in a more sort of holistic methodology? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I'm just trying to think of some good examples um, and because it will depend on, you know, they're often condition-based. So I can yeah. talk about migraines or rheumatoid arthritis or endometriosis. So yeah, migraines so, would be a good one. Can we choose one? Sure, we'll choose migraines. <laughs> yeah, I do hear a lot of our patients suffer from, you know, and it's interesting even for me to listen to putting migraine into a category as chronic pain, which it obviously is very painful, but I never really associate it with something that is part of, and I guess just not being a sufferer, being part of, you know, the everyday and how limiting it can be. So yeah, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Oh, yes, it can have significant um, quality of life issues and particularly when the incidence and, you know, is more frequent. So with more frequent migraines, then, you know, people have not just the migraine, but they have the kind of headache hangover. Mm. for a couple of days afterwards so there you've got three to four days and if they're right. happening weekly or even fortnightly that's a huge chunk of time out of someone's life yeah, and even you know cyclically for women if they're suffering mm. from migraines on a monthly basis but it's four days you add that up over the year it is a significant part of your life and I think until you've been in that boat it's um it is it you know it's like I said it's a thing that's going on in the background but it's certainly having huge effects as well and so yeah, with as far as migraines go, what sort of things have you found to be helpful in your practice? I think one of the key things is working out what the triggers are. And if we look at dietary triggers, so it's the most common triggers I see are fatigue, stress, and then some dietary triggers. So managing those is important. And often the dietary triggers are uh, things like coffee or chocolate or alcohol, and they're all linked with amines or histamine release in the body. So we look at, if we identify that that's a key, issue we look at kind of a lower histamine amine diet Mm -hmm. which can just reduce the backward pressure if you like it just reduces um, the tipping point if you like Mm -hmm. they're less likely to have a migraine or a headache but specifically a migraine if they're tired if their histamine levels a little bit lower or if they're dealing with histamine more effectively so a lot of histamine eating approach might be useful you know if it's fatigue then supporting their energy and making sure that they're getting enough sleep Mm. it can also be hydration so managing their water intake and there are some good nutrients to support um, migraines and magnesium is one of them and I think this in 50% of migraine sufferers magnesium will reduce the severity of the migraine that's impressive yeah it is (laughs) and then there's another uh, some other you know more recent look at you know ways of increasing if you like the mitochondrial energy associated with the nerve and the brain because if it you know if they're tired that might be more likely to trigger a migraine so Mm. if there's plenty of nerve and brain energy so things like b2 have been shown to be effective and coenzyme q10 Mm. um, along with magnesium they tend to be a fairly good combination because they support the energy powerhouse in the nerve and and the brain fascinating and do many people come to you with understanding that there would be links between diet and nutrition and their pain or is it something that you're introducing the concept of Uh, yeah that's actually been a bit of a a gap or a bridged 
um, to build because, mm. uh, you know, there are some conditions where people really see the connection. And I would talk about something like endometriosis where we're starting to see some big realisations around the links with diet and inflammation. Um, but I'm starting to see more and more people come with a broad variety of pain conditions that are wanting to explore the, the the impact of nutrition oh that's just you know anything from rheumatoid arthritis to schumann's to polymyalgia rheumatica you know all kinds of conditions where we're starting to see well how can nutrition influence pain severity and generally we're finding some some good links there and i think too when we look at obesity as it's in its own right it's an inflammatory condition also so people in an obese state would find their inflammation would be higher and would that be contributing to their chronic pain issue and then the reduction in their weight via the surgery helping to bring down their inflammation markers and um, and give some relief from these long-term conditions? Yes, it does. And it can, so it can definitely can reduce inflammation, also peripheral input, um, but also reduce the impact on the central nervous system. I find that nutrition is one part of the story, though. And if we say that not everything, you know, their, their pain severity might reduce, but it might not go away completely just doing nutrition. So we have to, again, look at well, that concept of 360-degree care. What else is contributing? to their um, pain is it you know learned non-movement or fear around movement that's causing muscle tension so you do nutrition and those other things Mm. as well and I think that that's and one of the big things that I do or work with is pain education so teaching patients the neuroscience of pain because not knowing what's happening in your body you imagine all sorts of things like oh this pain is associated with damage my body's being damaged when often it's not right it's just a very very early warning system and that's what pain is it's, it's like a, a warning system or mm. a protective and so it's just kicking in earlier going whoa whoa slow up <laughs> don't go anywhere near any kind of activity that's going to contribute to pain and i so- guess from that perspective people who've had you know previous injury or dealt with something that's upset the course of their life via pain and, you know, have worked through that. Do you see there's that unconscious, like you're saying, avoidance of certain activities and different things that they might have normally um, wanted to experience to avoid that, you know, situation from ever being ever likely because they know how bad it was. So it's like this, the body remembers and has that unconscious avoidance, which certainly Mm. also would stop you from, you know, exploring different things in your life that might um, add to it for sure. Yes, this week I can think of two examples. One, a lovely woman was sitting in my clinic during the week and talking about her low back pain. And I said, so, you know, really the spine, we like it like a piece of spaghetti. It moves. It doesn't need to be ramrod straight. And I said, so tell me what happens to you, what happens to your body when your back starts to hurt. And she showed me in her posture and everything tensed. Mm. It just, she said, I tense up with the hope that I can just get through the pain. And, and we, you know, that very 
act of tensing is going to make the pain worse or increase the severity potentially. Mm. And so then if the body learns that that response, whenever she's experiencing pain, you get this kind of conditioned response where her body starts to tense without even her thinking about it. Yeah, so we're very clever, aren't we? But mm. sometimes we're, you know, too clever for our own good. Yes. <laughs> we also, in our, um, my last question to you, we also have, and it's advertised on the TV and it's a prevailing understanding of this soldier on mentality. I think we're, you know, for an example, I know there's a certain pain relief medication that advertise on TV and isn't it fabulous how I can give this to my baby who's less than three months old, you know, and I think where it's like then there'll be sunshine and roses if you can manage this pain <laughs> and soldier on and, and get going. So it's like codrel soldier on, that sort of thing. How effective is soldiering on in a situation where there's chronic pain on the table oh really that's such a tricky question because we have some people who are incredibly stoic and that Mm. doesn't serve them well and then when then some people if you say okay don't push through sometimes some people just do need to push through not huge amounts of pain but a little bit of pain yeah they become so scared of any pain that they stop altogether so it's a kind of narrow line to work walk um saying do we soldier on or not Mm. it's more what does this individual need in this moment or at this time point do they need to perhaps do a little bit more movement safe paced movement Mm. or do they need to pull back a bit and rest and and do some different form of activity or different treatment strategy that might better suit them at this point in time so I don't have a definitive answer around that. Yeah that's interesting when you put it like that Mm. I'm always I've always tested to you know if I've had something that's been painful and it's on the mend I've always been one to see just how ready it is for more exercise it's backfired a couple of times but um, as I get older I'm I can see I'm less willing to test that because I know things are less elastic in a lot of ways so and I do see people who've you know have experienced pain and they will just not go back there so it's like they won't push through anything Mm. whereas that might be just I'm thinking of someone in my family actually who has some back pain and would just put themselves to bed. And and that was the management of it was I've got this back spasm, no treatment in between and off to bed. And then once the, that kind of episode or the acute stage had um, subsided, don't do anything else about that and then continue until the next episode. And I wonder if we become kind of accepting that there are episodes of mm acute pain but underlying that is this chronic condition that could be managed and then the acute episodes would certainly be either non-existent or at least further apart yeah i think so even just talking to that specific example we now know and there's a good level of evidence to back this up that movement is the best activity for lower back pain or the best therapy for low back pain and so you may not you know get up and exercise when the acute spasms there but you wouldn't that too long yeah even as that's waning you might get up and do some gentle movement and then get back in and do some rehabilitation or some more significant movement or exercise and I think that probably though people sometimes just don't know that what to do or what's right treatment approach or movement strategy and it's then you pick a person that you go and see who's going to give you good advice around that so I think um, 
it's doing that that process with support if you're unsure. Yeah, I guess, yeah, correct, and not sort of being too. A pain is scary, I suppose, too, isn't mm. it, really? And um, we try and avoid pain from most, um, I guess, angles in our lives. It's yes. a bit of an art for most of us. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so I, um, I'm so grateful for you spending some time with us this afternoon, and, and I think it is like you're just kind of opening it up to me that chronic pain is such a huge issue in in today's society that um it's great to give it some time and and really kind of give it some thought as well and um do you have any parting words well no thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it because i think it does need to be opened up and discussed more broadly so that Mm. people realize there's more than you know the current model there's more ways to look at this there's more ways to approach it and and I think probably my primary take-home would be that oh I've got two can I have two yes you can have two (laughs) um that pain and tissue damage rarely relate in chronic pain so just because you're in pain it doesn't mean there's tissue damage and the second one is that active treatment strategies promote recovery so that is you know there is a way forward and that needs to be an active strategy so it's Mm. finding that person who can guide you through what those strategies are for you as an individual yeah that's a great point and I think it's um finding those support networks and obviously in the show notes there'll be a range of those for people who are listening so I'll jot those down and also put in your details for contacting you via socials and uh, your website you're based in Brisbane do you you also do online do you as well yes we do uh, I do Zoom or telehealth um, and also we're doing PainWise which is basically neuroscience of pain we do that course over four weeks so the people can have one-on-one or they can come and just learn more about pain and just learning about pain can reduce the threat of it. And That's very true. Pain. Understanding is everything, in my mm, opinion, yeah. in education. Yes, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And there's so much to know. And I think we're just, you know, it, there's so much research now and it's therapies that we can rely on and implement safely and effectively, which is fantastic. Yes. I could talk to you for most of the day. Thank you so much, Ananda Marnie, for your time. I'm sure the listeners will be searching for you throughout the dairy, the very various avenues. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.